You are listening. You are listening. You are listening to the Fly Fishing ninety seven podcast. You know, I like this lake. This year, I was talking about dangling at Malian Lake, and like I was literally watching the fish on my down imaging coming up from the bottom or down from where they were to the chronomid and calling fish. Wow. Telling my friends to get ready because my rod was going to go off. And, you know, for days that happened. So um, we would even, uh, my buddy Chuck Harvey and I were out, and you may recognize Chuck from uh, Chuck's name from the Facebook page, but we were out and we, I kind of had a rule that, like, I want to see 10 chucks and three fish before we stop at a spot one day when we were out. And if I could find, <laughs> you know, 10 chucks and three fish on the, on the, on the, uh, sounder then we were likely gonna be into fish so yeah i think one thing i was kind of thinking about leading up to this and you know for the first time in in 42 years this summer i struggled a little bit when it came to mental health Mm. and um it was my fly fishing buddies that were there for me you know it was uh the, the community and the friendships and the relationships that I have built as a result of fly fishing um, have literally changed my life. You, you know, so um, there's more to it than just that dancing silver rainbow uh, at the end of your rod. Uh, to, to... Mm-hmm. What yeah. fly fishing has brought to my life has, has, has changed it in a very positive way. Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, featuring interviews with passionate people within the fly fishing industry. We focus on guides, conservation, resort managers, gear, and talented fly tires bringing usable information to fly fishers. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by The Fly Crate. Theflycrate.com is your source for all things fly fishing. The Fly Crate offers a monthly fly club. We select patterns every month for your home waters. With membership, you'll receive flies created to match the hatch in your area, along with the Fly Crate's guide magazine, the convenience of having flies delivered right to your door, some sweet stickers. Discover new patterns and start stocking your fly boxes now. Theflycrate.com. Here's your host, Mark Hopley. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Stoked you chose to join us today. And we are going to head out to Spruce Grove, Alberta. We got Ryan Ermit on the line. Now, he's a Canadian Llama Pro Tire, is involved with the Stillwaters Facebook page. And man, this guy's pretty dialed in. I'm really, really grateful you decided to come on the podcast. Ryan, thanks for coming on today, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. It's uh, I really like your show. I listen to it all the time, and uh, it's an honor to be here. Well, that's cool. So then you're probably pretty familiar with the format. So let's kind of start at the beginning for you. So if you had to kind of look back and how you came to discover fly fishing, can you walk us down that journey for a little bit? Yeah, sure. So uh, born and raised in Jasper National Park, uh, just on the other side of the uh, BC border in Alberta. And you know, my dad was an avid fisherman. The family was an avid fisherman. My grandmother was one of the best fisher people I've ever met. And, uh, you know, kind of long family history of loving the fish. And then uh, fly fishing, growing up in Jasper, like my dad would take me out with him all the time, you know, three, four years old. And, you know, at that time it was all about the naps and the snacks in the boat. But, <laughs> you know, w- watching my dad cast at rings in a still water and, and having trout take that dry fly, I mean, that to me was what really kind of, I needed to learn how to cast a fly rod after that. And, uh, you know, we spent a lot of time 40 years ago trolling flies, you know, the, the heaviest sinking lines we could find, type two or threes at that time. And, and trolling spratlies are those kind of suggestive patterns around the lake and totally different from, you know, the stillwater fishing that we do now. But mm. I remember like two or three years when I was a kid, like, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, you know, where I was casting a fly rod in the park beside her house because, you know, I wasn't good enough yet to cast in the boat. And I thought it was really that I wasn't good enough, but really I found out in the later years, that I think my dad just wanted to keep all those rising fish to himself. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, uh, I appreciative now um, that I spent those time in the park and learned how to cast a fly rod, you know, so that's really what got it started for me is, 
watched my dad cast to those rings and having the fish come back to take that that fly that's i think that's where it's set in yeah cool so i i'm assuming then you probably cite your dad as a pretty big influence you want to name a few people and i know there's a lot of people close to you that you've learned from but uh it's probably a long list but why don't you tell us who's influenced your your journey yeah that definitely my dad at the beginning and then later on in life i started working at the tackle shop in jasper and um the guides that worked there and a gentleman by the name of robin campbell uh he taught me Boleyn Lake, which is the the major fishery there that I ended up guiding in later years in the in the lake that we fish a lot. Uh, he taught me how to tie. He taught me the lake. Another guy, Rob Buston, um, was really influential. Fred Carter, uh, Wendell and Curtis Dirks, um, and my good friend that I kind of grew up with at that time, adolescent teens, learning how to fly fish, and then guide later on. Ryan Carpluck, we. We just bounced off each other and learned a lot in you know in those initial years and then obviously after that uh john kent brian chan and and phil roley and i you know i feel so honored you know in the last four or five years to be able to work with brian and phil a little bit on the stillwater app and mm-hmm. and be able to do some filming with phil over the years and i you know i'm just really really fortunate that i've had some amazing mentors and you know guys that you know, I think in the Stillwater community, um, a number of these guys are looked at as some of the best of the best when it comes to tying and fishing in Stillwater. So, I I mean, I got goosebumps, you know, talking about how Phil Rowley's a buddy of mine because for a long time I was I was that guy with, uh, you know, watching the YouTube videos at my vice trying to mm-hmm. duplicate the chrome, trying to duplicate the chromie and, uh, yeah. You know, and now, and now on occasion, he'll pull a fly out of my box and use it. So that, I mean, it's just unbelievable that, to me. That's pretty cool. And th- those are, I mean, you're naming a, let's get basically a list of who's who in, in Canadian fly fishing and globally too. So yeah, that's, that's a pretty long list. Cool. And we'll get into your Stillwaters involvement with Stillwaters uh, Facebook page and Stillwaters app and what's going on with that. And we can talk Canadian llama, all that good stuff. I just, I, I want to kind of get to know you a little bit in and around your hometown, just outside of Spruce Grove. You got a time for a few random questions that may not have anything to do with fishing? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Let's talk tunes. So when you're on your way to the water, uh, what are you listening to? Uh, so I'm all over the map and a uh, huge music fan. And, you know, I, I span the genres for what I listen to. So I'm going to go with the heavy hitters from last uh, water season. Um, Pearl Jam, I'm a, I'm a huge PJ fan. Uh, I always have been. Uh, back in the days, follow them around the country uh, to go to shows. And, you know, there's just Eddie and the boys. uh Always, always got PJ on the go somewhere on the playlist, and um, spent a lot of time recently listening to a gentleman by the name of Chuck Reagan, who's a mm. fly fishing guide out of California, and you know, he's just a really cool cat, and he's got. I just really appreciate his music out on the water, and um, that's cool. It's relatable as a it's relatable as a fly fisherman, I think. I was talking to him last, then, last week. He's going to come on the podcast. Uh, just trying to line oh, that up, so that'll be good. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Stoked. Cool. Cool. Yeah, so, that's awesome. Man. So who else? Sorry, I cut you off. Uh, and then, no, that's good. And then, you know, like I take it back to, you know, those party years. And, you know, I, I love the old school hip hop. And there's always some Wu-Tang on the go. And um, Rage Against the Machine, Audio Slave. And a big one last year I listened to lots is Run the Jewels with Killer Mike. And um, so I'm all over the map from, mm. you know, Kind of that alternative grunge stuff to the old school hip hop and some of even the the new beats that are kicking out there. So I'm all over the place, Mark. So if you're headed to your favorite Stillwater, I want to know one go-to fly pattern. So and I know you've got a box full of chronomids, leeches, I'm sure, dragons, all that good stuff. If you had to pick one pattern that was your go-to, could you do that? Yeah, I um four years ago. I pumped a fish on Moline Lake, uh, which is the premier fishery that I fish lots in Jasper and where I guided. And, and it had this chromey light chronomid in it that had like this fuchsia rib. Oh. And uh, and I went back to the tent trailer. I was camping at the time fishing. And I went back to the tent trailer and I grabbed some fuchsia wire and some uh, some silver mylar and I, and I whipped up, which is, become known in amongst my friends and uh as the refugia 
It's got a two-tone, it's got a two-tone tungsten bead on it from Canadian Lama with the front half being white and the back half being uh, gold or copper to simulate those wing buds with the copper or the gold and then obviously the white for the gills. And mm-hmm. um, it because of my initials are RE and then it's because it's got the fuchsia rib, buddy Jack named it the, the RE fuchsia and then uh, it turned into the rough fuchsia because they can't refuse it. <laughs> um, you know, so it's it kind of evolved from there. But that that fly has been so hot on so many lakes for me over the last couple of years, and I, I think that would be the one. That sounds like something I need to put in my fly box because uh, <laughs> you're describing something I don't have, and that always gets the juices going. <laughs> well, it's it's actually you know it's um it's not too far out of the box because it's uh, I think I kind of just tweaked um, John Kent's Guns and Roses pattern a little yeah. bit. You know, he's, okay that burgundy rib that, you know, it's more of a fuchsia rib, but it really stood out to me that throat sample that day. And um, it's not too far out of the box, but there it is. Good stuff. Favorite place to talk fly fishing. So maybe it's on the Stillwater's website or on the Stillwater's homepage. Maybe it's on the phone or maybe it's in a fly shop. You know, is there a certain place you go to get your fix, Ryan, when you're not fishing? Yeah, definitely the Stillwater's Facebook page that Brent created and that uh, Brent and Wes Penny and I have been, you know, running over the last couple of years. That that place, is just, I think it's grown over 5,000 members. And the knowledge and the content on that on that Facebook page is, is, is unbelievable. But the thing that really always keeps me kind of interested is the lack of banter and the lack of, you know, I don't know if I can say it, but bullshit. You know, there's uh, you don't see a lot of the the back and forth arguing and those kind of things, and we police it very carefully because it really feels to me like like a community where like people who are just learning can post a fly that maybe isn't as good as some of the guys that have been doing it for a while, and they don't have to worry about being ridiculed for it. Right. You know, it's I I feel like we've created a safe space where um, so we can and you know so the Stillwater's Facebook page is definitely one of them, and then. You know, the fishing hole in Edmonton, uh, the fishing hole is a family-run business out here in Alberta and Saskatchewan. And um, I worked there for years when I was going to college back in the day and stopping in at the fishing hole for materials and you know, talking to Brian and talking to Ben and Vince and Josh and just, you know, uh, BSing about the new materials or about the new rods. or Yeah, um, yeah def- definitely. I, I love going into the fishing hole for sure. Awesome. Well, we've had Wes on the program. We've had Brent on a couple of times. I'm glad we finally got you on. And I, I can't agree more. I mean, it comes, it's come up on the show a lot as far as the kind of the, just a good atmosphere for, for a, you know, a social media site. Cause they can turn negative sometimes in a hurry and uh, kudos to you guys on that. Cause you, I know you do a great job and I know how much work yeah. that is. And I'm starting to learn it now because all of a sudden, even on my my Facebook page, people will start posting things and all of a sudden it's like, Oh shoot, I missed that one. <laughs> you know, it's like, you gotta, yeah. you gotta be on it. Right. So for sure. Yeah. Um, let's talk sports, man. So, um, are we talking flames, Oilers, jets, Eskimos, stampeders? Or who do you, yeah, who do you well, pull for? Both my parents are born and raised in Winnipeg and, uh, at 15, I moved to Winnipeg to, to go to high school and play a little hockey. And uh, so I've always cheered for the Jets and the Bombers. Uh, my dad is a huge Winnipeg Blue Bomber fan. And, you know, I remember sitting on the floor with the Rabbit Ears adjusting the TV so that, you know, the Bomber game could get in, like, when I was really young back in the day. And <laughs> um, so the Bombers and the Jets for me. And then, you know, I was at those grassroots rallies in 96 to try to save the Jets in Winnipeg and it didn't work out and moved back to Edmonton to, to go to college back to Alberta and just kind of became an Oilers fan because, you know, lived in Edmonton and I didn't have the Jets to cheer for anymore. And right. when there was the, when there was the Jets, obviously I couldn't cheer for the Oilers because they beat us in the first round every frigging year back in the day. But um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that's a huge Winnipeg Blue Bomber fan, too. I really like the CFL, and I really like the game. I mean, obviously, I like the NFL and the talent, too. But that's a special place in my heart for the CFL and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, that's for sure. Who's your favorite Jet of all time? Oh, it's, I got to go with Solani. I, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's yeah. so many. Or, or Howard Chuck. I mean, 
I'm not sure there's ever been a classier guy to play the game and, and also maybe underrated. And all those guys that played with him back in the day talk about Howard Chuck and how good he was. And um, Howard, Howard Chuck is Solani. And I think the best goal celebration in the history of the NHL is when he threw his glove up in the air and shot it down and shot it with a stick. <laughs> right? I mean, that's, that's ingrained in my brain for life. So I, I don't know if I can choose between Howard Chuck and Solani, to be honest. I thought you were going to say Jim Kite or Ty Domi. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that may have been, you know, more of my role when I played the game, but I, I appreciate the skilled guy. Yeah, fair enough. Um, biggest lesson you've learned, Ryan, in your time on the water, and that's a big question, but if you kind of had to distill things down to a single takeaway, what fly fishing brings to your every day, what does that look like? Yeah, I I think you know I've been I've been thinking about this a little bit, and um, I think the biggest thing that I learned is just to chill. I spent a number of years guiding, and it was gotta get that discussion about these customers are paying big money. It's big, you know. You're gonna get back to the shop, and it's gonna be how many did you get today? And this huge pressure, you know, that I don't know that I really realized at the time, but. Um, Later on in life, and as I get older and as no longer doing it as a job, so to speak, I the biggest thing is chill. Like, chill when it comes to retrieving that fly. You can never, you know, we're always moving those flies too quick. Uh, chill when it comes to changing your pattern. Mm. You know, leave it there a little bit longer. Chill when it comes to changing, the, you know, changing your spot. You know, hang out a little bit longer. And um, for me, that's been the biggest lesson. Is, mm-hmm. And, you know, listen see you know watch listen um i think if i need to, to to break it down to one thing or one word it's just just chill yeah you know what i always have a hard time with is is that anticipation of getting on the water that's where the chill comes in it for me it's yeah. just like hold your horses yeah. you know what i mean the water's not going anywhere but uh, i'll get a buddy that's starting to get chatty or just like come on let's get out there it's <laughs> even yeah. i'm in my 50s now and i still haven't learned to chill on that <laughs> it, it's tough it, yeah. it really is it's tough for sure but i think that and i'm not saying i'm good at it but I, i've learned that you know it's it's a lesson that i've that i've learned but sometimes i need to remind myself there's no doubt fill in the blank for me when you're not fly fishing you're usually doing what being dad yeah i'm a proud father of, of two boys uh four years old and 16 months and uh yeah, that's those those boys are everything to me. And other than you know being dad and what goes on there, I'm probably at the vice. I, I spend a lot of time, yeah. you know, especially in the in the tying season. Um, I'm at the vice playing around and getting the boxes ready, and um, I tie a lot for my buddies. And uh, I've been known to sell a couple of dozen flies to people if they ask. And so I, I spend a lot of time at the vice. Just going to throw this out there. Good timing. I think if somebody wants to check out some of the patterns you're creating or maybe want to pick up a couple off you, um, what's your Instagram account handle? Uh, it's at Stillwater Fly Fishing AB. So um, the AB is obviously for Alberta. At Stillwater Fly Fishing AB. Yeah, perfect. So, um, Let's talk about Canadian Lama a little bit, because I know you you think highly of these guys, and you use your pro tire obviously for them. You use a lot of their products and your patterns. Um, talk to me about Canadian Lama and what it's like working with those guys. Yeah, well, I think you know when I think of Canadian Lama, the first thing I think of is their customer service, and I know that they they pride themselves on that. I was talking to Kent uh, just a couple of days ago from Canadian Lama. Um, about a new material that he's going to send me some samples of. And he, uh, you can tell the concern in his voice that he wasn't getting to orders for one or two days because he's that busy. And, you know, he really prides himself on on the same day, getting it in the mail the same day as it's ordered. And, you know, I, I said, Doug, you got to cut yourself some slack one or two days with as crazy as it is right now. I mean, he's talking about tens of thousands of orders and he's, you know, mm-hmm. um, his goal on that customer service is, you know, that he's, he's, he's not meeting it if it's, he's getting to the order the next day after it's ordered. So I think that just, that shows there and, and the uniqueness of the products and, and the, uh, you know, the, the desire to always to keep pushing the market. I, I love those two-tone tungsten beads. I, I think, they, you know, they, 
the way that they sink, the the ease of adding the gill and the wing bud at the same time. I use them on leeches. I mean, you can you get that Brian Chan ruby-eyed leech idea with one bead um, mm-hmm. with the red and the gold. And, you know, I even some of these Pertigon, you know, Pertigon quills that we're using right now that, you know, I know has been instrumental, instrumental in, in getting from overseas. And I think that the desire to always push it and to see what's new and, and you know, uh, keep the industry going. Is, uh, is, but the customer service is huge when it comes right. to Canadian Lama. Talk to me about the products um, as far as, like, what, you know, what, what brands of, of thread are, are you using, uh, dubbing, you know, just kind of the staples. Uh, throw some brands at us out there that you guys have. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a, so I mean with with the beads, um, definitely the you know his his line of tungsten beads are great. Uh, any of the beads that he carries, that he's more of a bead and the hook supplier and some of the materials. I mean, I I love the um, tie and boobies and tie and blobs and the fritzes that he has and 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 those kind of things. Um, right. The buzzer the buzzer wraps. Oh, I love that stuff. I, I ever since oh. I found buzzer wrap, I use it on almost everything. I love it. It's so great. You can keep it thin. You're not trying to stretch that scud back out anymore. And yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah. it's 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 good stuff. But the you know the key thing, the one of the one things that I love the most is those uh, Daiichi Alec Jackson hooks. Oh yeah, I've been tying on. I've been tying on those for a number of years and. Um, Ken carries the Daiichi Daiichi hook brands and those, those AJ crystals or those AJ phantoms in that covert nymph hook. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are killer. And also, I I tie a lot on the uh, the eleven Daiichi eleven twenty curve scud. Okay. Whether it's a scud or a leech or even a chronomid, that uh, that eleven twenty is is a great great hook for tying chronomids too. You know, if you're getting away. from from that two X long look to that curved kind of a chronomid look, you know, right. with a wider gape. It's funny. I used to always tie on scud scud hooks, and then uh, recently I found myself moving towards like two and three X longer shank. I just find I can kind of get more of the look I'm looking for. But but it totally depends on what you're trying to do. So I, you're talking about that Alec Jackson. Are those uh, which one you like those for cronies too? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, I tell you, that's, that's predominantly the, the Alec Jackson and the Phantom, which is like a black hook. Yeah. yeah I got some in front of me um, right now. Yeah. It's so nice. Or, you yeah. know, like a chromey tied on the crystal where that body material kind of just blends into the hook. I just, I think they catch our eye more than they do the fish, but they're also a good, strong, stout hook. I love you know, dark and, and hooks they, too. I hate those bright, shiny hooks sometimes when you're tying on a crony. I like the kind of the matte kind of black. It's definitely easier when you're at the vice too. I got a lot of light at my table, and sometimes that light bouncing off those crystals can be hard on the eyes. <laughs> it's hard on the eyes in general. That's one thing. Yeah. I, I go to like a three X cheater glasses now. Otherwise, I can't see a thing. Uh, I'm not quite there yet, but I think it's coming. Talk to me about. I know you guys, uh, Brent and and a, a bunch of others, have been working hard on on your Stillwater short film. Uh, called Still. Um, talk to me about that and, and, and uh, walk us through kind of, I mean, don't give away the secret lakes, but um, the areas uh, of BC that you were fishing and, and, and what that uh, short film's all about. Yeah, sure. So um, Phil Rowley and I do, uh, we film some video vlogs and uh, he's got me introduced and helping him out with some of his YouTube stuff over the last couple of years. And you know, and through that Stillwaters page, Brent Gill and I have become really good friends. Uh, he's just a really solid guy, and we've had a lot of similar experiences in our lives over the last couple of years. We've been really able to to be there for each other and, and create that bond. And then, you know, Trevor Tatarchuk, I'm not sure that anybody ties a chronomid as nice as Trevor does. And, you know, Mike Green, that guy's a hog magnet. He, uh, there's not too, too many guys that post bigger fish than Mike Green every season on the Stillwater page. So I had this idea of like, we all need to get together and, you know, whether it's just go fishing and then it turned into, well, let's make a movie. And then it turned into, well, we'll film some video logs. Phil and I, while we're there and, 
Yeah, so Brent Gill, Phil Rowley, Trevor Tatterchuk, Mike Green, and myself went to the Caribou region at the end of September last year, beginning of October. Uh, we got an Airbnb in Williams Lake and uh, we got some beers from my friends at the Jasper Brewing Company and we grabbed <laughs> our fishing gear and a bunch of boats. And um, there's so many lakes to choose from in the Caribou region that have quality fish and I'm not going to talk about any names, but um, I know there's so many of them that we were having trouble deciding the first day where we we're going to go. Well, and, that's that's uh, a good took, problem. We, yeah, we took seven or eight names and we put them in a BC fishing hat and we drew the name. <laughs> and that's how we decided the first day where we were going to go. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a really fun. It was a really fun project. One of the best, you know, fishing weeks in my life, the camaraderie in the house and all without being under the same roof and, Mm. filming tying videos and uh and the fishing was spectacular and that caribou region is uh it's pretty special it was a bucket list thing for me to do to get up there and and it was my first time and uh, what an experience that the film is uh supposed to drop here uh anytime in the next week so be looking for that it's called still it will be on brent gill's wait uh wait for it films page on youtube if if you don't subscribe to wait for it films on youtube you're missing out i think brent is uh one of the up and coming photo, photo uh, how do you say that filmmakers uh, let's say sure. yeah. um when it when it comes to uh to fishing and those kind of things and he does a lot of his own music and i i like it we grew up in the same era the same music and i like his style but um, you can look for it uh, at Wait For It Films on YouTube in the next little bit, and I'm sure he's going to figure out a way to post it to the Stillwater Facebook page. And uh, yeah. yeah, so that was that was a really cool project. I'm excited to see it. I mean, I, anything Brent does, he does, uh, you know, full on. And I, I think too that, that the angles that he, that you guys are getting that I've been seeing because I did see the teaser for it a while back, and I thought, oh, I can't wait for that because it's a time of year where we. We're chomping at the bit. We can't go anywhere. Basically, you're either at the tying bench or you're, you know, um, working on equipment or whatnot. But when when something like that comes along, it really gets the juices flowing, you know. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, I, well, I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, cool. Um, so let's get into uh, a little bit of your day-to-day fishing. Now, you mentioned, uh, am I saying this right, Moline Lake? Yeah, yeah, so for sure. I, I've never been there. I've seen a lot of footage. I've seen a lot of pictures of you with fish there. Uh, it looks yeah. beautiful, just like looks like one of those crystal clear kind of blue, um, beautiful uh, northern Canadian waters. Um, talk to me about, about that and how special a, a fishery it is. Yeah, so, uh, you know, back in the day, like I said, I was fishing with there with my dad since I was three or four years old. So, like, close to 40 years ago, I started fishing Moline Lake. And then as I got older, uh ended up guiding on Moline for a couple of years. But, I mean, it sits at 5,500 feet um, in the Canadian Rockies. That's uh, 14 miles long, 21 kilometers long, I mean, up to 300 feet deep in places. And, um big huge massive shoals and banks and rivers and waterfalls and glaciers and you get back down to that far end of Moline Lake and Cornette Creek and you know you, you could be anywhere in the world you didn't, you didn't know that you're only 45 minutes away from the house you grew up in you know and uh chronomids mm. popping like crazy uh rainbow trout brook trout uh, grizzly bears black bears elk moose cougars like you you name it you know on the drive up there or, or fishing on a shoal where there's a moose feeding on the uh vegetation you know 50 50 feet away from you sometimes it's uh hmm. it's a very special place you know i maybe took it a little bit for granted as a kid didn't realize that the rest of the world wasn't like that but um yeah, it's, it's definitely uh, one of my spots. Phil and I did film a couple of uh, YouTube videos uh, on Moline Lake, so you can kind of, uh, mm. if you want to put a picture to my words, you can go check out those on his, on Phil Rowley's YouTube channel. But it's um, that's home to me. That's where my ashes will be spread. That that place is a special, special place uh, for me. Yeah, no, it, it it looks amazing. I, I mean, when you're fishing a big body of water like that, it, it doesn't, doesn't always lend itself 
necessarily well to fly fishing. Sounds like that particular one does with the hatches you're talking about. When you're fishing chironomids in there, are you basically doing the dangle or are you using long leaders with indicators or kind of all of the above? Yeah, it's, it's kind of all of the above. And so nowadays I don't obviously get to fish there throughout the stillwater season. So I, I kind of plan it for that certain part of the year where I believe that the chironomids are, are the best. And I was there this year just after Canada Day, and I should have been finding fish in 14 feet of water, 12 feet of water, under an indicator, reds and blacks, the refugia, those kind of things, and fishing was slow. The indicators weren't going down. What's going on here? So, you know, that would be classic how we would fish Moline, uh, indicator setups, swivel, crony. Um, that, that's classically how we'd do it, but it wasn't working this year. So uh, with the wind, you know, maybe they're deep. It was, you know, the more water was murky. I thought maybe it pushed them out and, and we'll push out into 26 and 27 feet and started dangling and had the best two weeks of my life on that lake. Wow. It was, you know, once they, once they found them that first day in deeper water. So, it, I mean, I guess to answer your question, it's, it's all over the place. You could be long leader techniques naked without an indicator on a, on a floating line, uh, you could be floating line with the indicator. You can, you know, like this year, dangling in 27 feet. So, hmm. um, I mean, all of it. How hard it How sure. hard are those takes, Ryan? So, you know, typically they're really hard, but Malene's a different animal. Like, it's almost, uh, I mean, you definitely get the ones where you got to hold on. But, you know, you talk about the guys that do it, you know, and, in the interior in BC and that, and they always talk about how hard the takes are. And it's like, you got to have your rod in your hand or in a rod holder, you're going to lose it. And, and that is the case a number of times, but at Molina, and sometimes you get the tap, 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 you know, and, and mm. you set the hook and they're there. Um, I did have a good friend of mine, uh, lose a rod in the reel, a sage rod in the reel, uh, over the side of my canoe this summer dangling because he wasn't holding on so they can be vicious too but mm-hmm. they're not all they're not all vicious you can have that kind of tap 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 as well but when when they are vicious you better be holding on or eleven hundred dollars at the bottom of the lake you know <laughs> yeah well and also when you're fishing that deep of water i could see it sometimes not being as hard to take because you're so far down right i mean it takes a while to kind of get back to you um yeah with those in with the you know, with the in-touch lines and those, the, the cores these days and the anti-stretch and the short leaders, I think even down at 27, they can, and you're straight, you're straight down to your rod tooth. There's a whole lot, whole lot of slack. So I don't think you get the stretch and those kind of things that you used to. And they, they can be vicious. There's no doubt. I mean, you want to hold on. Yeah, for sure. Um, what kind of fishing have did you get up to this year? I mean, were you fishing some moving water as well, or you kind of strictly stick to the still water thing? Yeah, you know, being the dad of two young boys and having a full-time job, is when I get out, I'm still water fishing. I don't, you know, that that's my passion. That's what I'm good at. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I, read a, I, read, I read a lake much better than I read a river, I got to be honest. Um yeah. And, and you know, I, you spend all that money for the gear and the boats and the sounders, and in our situation, the electric motors and the batteries, and to not use it when you have an opportunity to get out. I'm I'm fishing still waters when I'm fishing. That's just well. Let's me. let's go there. Let's talk about your setup. So um, first off, what are you fishing out of? Are we talking a pontoon? Is it a hard bottom boat? Uh, what are you? Yeah. What's your craft of yeah, choice? So, for the last couple of years, um, I've been fishing out of uh, Marlin, 12-foot Marlin. Phil um, and I work closely with Marlin boats, and they're so wide and they're so stable. and um, So that's that's my little kind of uh, local lake kind of trout pond boat is uh, my 12-foot Marlin. And then I also have a 21-foot Scott Freighter canoe um, that's about five feet wide at its widest point with a square back on it. And that's what we use at hmm. Moline Lake. It's such a big body of water and it's electric motors only. So yep. those canoes cut the, they cut through the water so nice. So you don't bring up a bunch of extra battery power and they're so stable and they're so wide. If a front does move through the valley, 
um, that's kind of, yeah. So those are the two crafts I fish out of uh, yeah. a big, massive canoe. And then your typical flat bottom Marlin still out of boat. When you are taking your Marlin, is that, is that on a trailer? Or is that in actually get up on the truck? Yeah. So both, uh, I do have it trailered, uh, for ease, but it, it only weighs 120 some odd pounds. So I, I can muscle it up on, onto the toolie rack of my truck if I need to, or even if it's a short distance, just in the box. So yeah, it, whatever that it's so versatile, even on the top of a tent trailer, you know, if, uh, I had no, so yeah. Let's talk about, um, fish finders. First off, yes or no fish finders. Absolutely. Can't live without them. There's no need to be any kind of purist when you're still water fishing. If you're not using the sounder, you're not catching as many fish as you could be. Agree a hundred percent. What what kind of finder works for you? Yeah, I uh, I use a Lawrence. Um, when I worked at the fishing hole when I was going to college, you know, over twenty years ago, Lawrence was the elite, you know, and that's kind of what I I got to know and what I got to like. I nowadays whether you're hummingbird or or Lawrence or you know even Garmin, I don't. They all kind of seem to be one year ahead of other when it comes to technology. But you know, for me, I'm, I'm I want water temperature, I want depth, I want some down imaging, I want some side imaging, um, and I think any one of those, you know, any of the brands. But I, I'm a Lawrence guy. Phil Phil's a hummingbird guy. Uh, yeah. You know, we we have some good battles over it and some good laughs over it. But at the end of the day, I don't I don't really think it matters. But you know, I. Like this lake, this year, I was talking about dangling at Moline Lake, and like I was literally watching the fish on my down imaging coming up from the bottom or down from where they were to the chronomid and calling fish. Wow. Telling my friends to get ready because my rod was going to go off. And, you know, for days that happened. So, um, we would even, uh, my buddy Chuck Harvey and I were out, and you may recognize Chuck from, uh, Chuck's name from, facebook page but we were out and i kind of had a rule that like i want to see 10 chucks and three fish before we stop at a spot one day when we were out and if i could find (laughs) you know 10 chucks and three fish on the on the on the uh sounder then we were likely gonna be into fish so yeah i i think they're hugely important you know they're a game changer i i feel naked without one out there like there's been times where i have forgotten it and i the confidence level just goes to the bottom of the lake, you know? Yeah, no, I, I feel naked when I don't have one. And uh, mine, yeah, mine bought the farm last year. So I actually did fish a few months without it. And I was lost. Even though you know the lakes, you know where the fish should be. Um, when you're fishing a lake like Moline, that's that's that big, and I fish some pretty big bodies of water also, um, you, you, you know you're lost without it. You really are. You got to find them and, and they move. They might, like you said, they might be in 15 feet or they might be in 28 feet. I mean, it's, it's going to, you know, it's going to make or break your day. For sure. I just wrote something down. I don't write things down too often. 10 chucks, three fish. That's going to stick with me. I, I, I like that because I know exactly what you're talking about. You can be plugging along. You might see the odd fish. It's like, oh, is it just cruising? I just happened upon it. Or, but if you start seeing shucks, you know you're in the right area. But you start printing three or more fish, you might as well put an anchor down. For sure. Yeah, good stuff. Love it. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, the Stillwaters app that you. I know you have you do work on uh, with Brian and Phil. Um, first off, um, for those that maybe don't know about it, tell us a little bit about it. Yeah. So the Stillwater app is, uh, you know, Brian and Phil created a number of years ago and uh, I think it was, it's gotta be three or four years now. And, um, then they asked me to come along and help them with some of their Instagram and their social media and those kind of things. And, and, uh, it's, it's pretty cool. You know, there's, there's all these YouTube channels and all, there's all these things where you can get this information, but none of it you can take on the water with you. And, you know, it's really having this Stillwater app. You can have this content downloaded on your phone and it's basically like having Phil and Brian in the boat with you. I mean, there's, so I'm not sure exactly what there's between 150 and 200 video tips and techniques on there. And, hmm. um, 
I mean, you could not know anything about stillwater fly fishing, go through everything in the app, figure it out, and guarantee you go out there and catch fish. I mean, when it comes to the tying patterns, when it comes to the techniques, when it comes to different techniques per season, you know, and the big thing is that you can download it and take it out on the water with you. So I, I for the, you know, what, whatever it is that um, I have a hard time plugging things, but, you know, like it's for less than a fancy coffee a month, you can you can basically like learn from Brian Chan and Phil Rowley at your yeah. own leisure. I mean, when, but wouldn't I love that 10 years ago? <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's like a hand, <laughs> there's a handful of books we could go to now. It's like, yeah, it's uh if you you can figure things out very quickly now, I, I, I that's one thing I'm really grateful. The era in which we're living now with these uh, social media times and the, the sharing of information is phenomenal. Yeah, that's, um, you know, in preparation for this, you know, you and I had talked about what, if I could change anything in in this fly fishing industry or what we see. And mm-hmm. and that to me, and sorry to segue on you, I think that's probably oh, your job most times. No, it's but, perfect. Um, <laughs> I think, uh, you know, that for me is, that change is the one that I've been craving for a long time. And I remember when I was guiding and, you know, over 20 years ago where, I had to take my fly off my lines before I got to the dock. And and the flies that we were using were top secret. And there was four or five of us of the guys that I mentioned earlier that knew what we were fishing and and it was secretive. And we were hiding them from the we were hiding them from the competition. And you know, it's uh and so I, I really, you know, the changes that have been made, like you said, with social media and with the sharing of it, I that to me is the best part and the best change and something I've been craving for a while is I have no problem and on numerous occasions if you know and if you see me out on the water, whether it be in my big red canoe or in in my Marlin twelve footer, and I'm catching fish and you're not, uh, I'll give you one of the flies in my box that I'm using. I mean I I love the sharing of information. I love seeing everybody catch fish. I, I you know, it, but I, I think there's a, the other side of it is like there's some of that stuff that we're going to keep secret when it comes to the secret lakes and those things that you don't want to be ruined. But for the most part, that that knowledge sharing and that camaraderie and that that community feeling that once wasn't there, I, that to me is I love how the industry is changing that way. Yeah, I agree, hundred percent. It's uh, you know something that I was really I've come to the re- realization of lately is that it's not always the time that we've been doing this because I, what I'm seeing is a lot of young tires or, or fairly pe- people that are fairly new to tying they're kicking my butt they're I've been doing it for 35 40 years and I'm going man these guys have been doing it for four or five years but look at all the information out there and it's the flight time you know it's the time you're spending at the bench combined with watching these experts do it you can really take a lot away in a hurry yeah it's true i think of my buddy adam henderson who's uh this is his first year tying and you know at the beginning of the year he said send me a bunch of pictures so i for inspiration at the vice and he's tying some of these flies and he's sending me pictures and i'm thinking like you've been at this shit. like you've been at this for a minute dude and you're killing it like yeah. Yeah, I told cool. her, I, you know, I said, send me a dozen, you know, <laughs> like it's, <laughs> uh, it's true. I, you know, there's something to be said about, you know, maybe the hard knocks that, you know, we had to go through to learn it and stuff, but as busy as life is and the rat race that it is, I mean, I, I'm a, like, I think it's great that people get to get out there and catch fish and they don't have to Yeah, spend a number of time on lake struggling and not catching fish, learning it. And, uh, well, think- I, I don't think that. Think of I don't the, think that's necessarily the only way to learn it, you know. No, no, I hundred percent agree. Think, think of the, I think of the first vice I had and how I even tied anything and 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 the hackles you were using that were like, you know, they looked like they fell off a, you know, a Stellar's J that flew flew into the window or something. They weren't they weren't perfectly, you know, some of these these feathers you can get and the new materials you can get and the vice and the bobbins and the the fish don't they shouldn't stand a chance, should they? No, no, they sh- they sure shouldn't. Look at some of these chronomids that are being tied with. Oh, I know. With wing buds or some of the buzzard patterns, and you know, 
Well, you put them down on you put them down on your bench, and you think somebody just emptied a throat pump on <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Those, seriously, I know, I know, and I I look at that too. You got you you said it earlier. You're almost watching the fish take your fly on your finder. I mean. You know, the, the the lines that we have, it's like it used to be like, well, I, I'm going to get a double taper or wait for it floating or sinking. It's like now it's like you've got to be a scientist to understand all these fly lines. It boggles my mind. I'm still not. There's always something new coming around the corner and it's something I need to get better at. But there's so much to know, eh? That's, and that's what I love there, about there, this. Yeah, for sure. It's, um, you know, it's, there's always new materials. There's always new techniques. There's always new bodies of water. There's always new situations on an old body of water throughout the weather changes or what's going on. Or mm. yeah, I, it's it's always constantly keeps you uh, keeps you thinking and and learning. And as, uh, as somebody that gets yeah. kind of, you know, I I don't want to say bored, but I used to any pastime you can do for me that you can kind of figure out in a short amount of time doesn't bring a lot but that's the one thing i love about fly fishing i get lost in the entomology i get lost well, in the tying it's like we're, you know pick pick your poison yeah. yeah yeah for sure you know the casting the entomology the tying you know the the waters you know oh there's so much to learn and all the seasons right you yeah. know one thing something that works in the fall is not going to work in the spring or yeah, you know, it, it's just it's. Uh, and even when you think you, and when even when you think you got it all figured out, and you've been to that lake a hundred times, and you caught a thousand fish, it'll still throw a wrench at you every oh, now yeah. and then. Which I think, which I think keeps us coming back as well, right? Yeah, it's humbling in in a good way. Yeah, we're chatting yeah. tonight with Ryan Ermit. Now, Ryan is uh, out of Spruce Grove, Alberta. He uh, is a Canadian Lama Pro Tire. Well, he's involved with uh, helping Phil and uh, Brian with the Stillwaters app and also involved with uh, Brent and Wes and the gang over at the Stillwaters Facebook page. So, man, we could talk about a lot of things tonight. And uh, I I guess something I'm curious, you and I were just kind of going down this rabbit hole, but... Um, if there's something that you feel you need to work on in your game, or if, if you had to up your game in any way, shape or form, wh- where are you spending your hours now? Is it, is it a, a tying thing for you? Is it an insect thing? Where, where are you, where, you know, where are you learning right now? Mostly. Yeah. So over the last couple of years, it's been a tying thing. Um, but my focus though is, is definitely the entomology. Um, I feel like there's, there's so much to learn and it's something that's really um, become more, I'm more interested in now than I, than I once was. And uh, I think that's a progression. I, my tying uh, and at the vice that I, I think I'm where I want to be personally and I'm satisfied with that. And now it's i I'd like to learn more about the science of it. And I think that entomology and the science of it is probably uh the biggest rabbit hole of the whole thing. Yeah. Um, sure. you know, and there's a, there's a ton to learn, but, um, yeah. Entomology will be my focus over the next couple of years for sure. And sharpening my game up as when it comes to that and the whole science behind lakes and bugs and yeah. Yeah. You know what, you know what I've been working on is, is something I, I, admit you could help me with this i am trying to find more ways to catch fish on indicators because i'm just so hooked on it that it's at the point now like a fish cron is probably 90 percent of the year so now i'm moving into these you know these balanced leech patterns these balanced dragon patterns these balanced minnow patterns um is that something you do a lot of in alberta yeah for sure uh fish a lot of indicators and i think that my friends will tell you that I was addicted to dangling this summer. And I think it just, you know, I, I remember when I first started indicator fishing and how addicted I was to watching that indicator go down. But over the last year, I kind of got a little bit, you know, the dangle was something new for me. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I fish dragons, damsels, crawnies, leeches, scuds. Fish it all under an indicator, retrieve an indicator, let an indicator sit, drift an indicator. It's such a versatile way to stillwater fish. You can you can fish the whole gamut of the fly spectrum as well as the whole um, you know the whole 
um, like the life cycle of the, of the water yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. with it yeah. or, or the life cycle like you said the life cycle or the feeding zones throughout the water column mm-hmm. uh, you can you know if you're going to take one setup with you to a still water lake one lake one line uh, for me it, it's going to be shooting taper you know some kind of indicator type uh, line with with an indicator leader and some fluorocarp and then the indicator and probably a swivel, you know, because yeah. you can fish the entire spectrum with that one setup. So yeah, like, there ain't much you can't fish under an indicator. Talk Even to... a blob, you know? Oh, I know. Like... I had good success with that this year, man. It was crazy. I, yeah. I, it took me a while. Like I, I fished blobs for three years before I figured out how to fish them. And uh, I basically just started fishing it like a crony and yeah, oh, yeah. it works. Um, talk yeah. to me about the dangle. Cause some people that are listening may not be familiar. I mean, um, if you're not on the Stillwaters website, well, you, you probably know what it is, but if you're, if you, if you're not there, uh, you should be first off. But secondly, uh, walk us through the dangle, what that means to you and, and how you fish that style of fishing. Yeah. So we talked about it before. I'm looking for some, obviously some signs of a hatch going on and then, some signs of fish down below at the bottom in deeper water um, on my depth sounder. And then be fishing a five or a six weight rod um, with a type or a six or a type seven sinking line. Um, probably, you know, four or five feet of uh, floral leader right off of my fly line to my fly. Uh, Cronmid, leech, whatever you they're feeding on or, you know, typically Cronmid. And then we use, um, I'm guilty for using uh, my Dr. Slick hemostat as a weight to clip onto my fly. And you drop that, drop that whole rig down to the bottom. And uh, once you kind of feel the bottom with the weight, I think you're probably better off to use like an ice fishing weight or a clip on weight of some kind instead of a pair of $30 Dr. Slicks. But um, (laughs) yeah. Probably. (laughs) I've lost, I've lost too many of them at the bottom of the lake. I can speak from experience, but um, and then once you find that bottom and, and you have your rod set to what Phil calls the fishing position, so somewhere where you feel comfortable holding that rod, you know, whether it's a foot off the surface of the water, your, the tip of your rod is, you set that fishing position and then you retrieve one foot or one and a half feet um, of that sinking line, so off of the bottom. So um, you know that you're set up at that 12 12 inch mark off the bottom let's say and then you pull in all that just strip in all that fly line take your ice fishing weight your human set off the fly and just kind of drop the whole rig down let that type six or type seven sinking line do its job and the tungsten bead or bead on your on your fly and you just hang it over the side of the boat over the side of the boat straight down Mm -hmm. and um yeah hold on you know we talked about the vicious takes earlier but you know, and if you if you get bored or some of the things, I would see fish cruising um, on my sounder, and maybe they would be feeding in a column that was you know six or eight inches above where my fly was, and I could see them on the indicator, and I just start slow hand twisting, really slow hand twisting that chronomid, just like that pupa would be emerging mm-hmm. um, or coming up to the surface, and you know that little bit of movement at times, and right. yeah, so. I think, uh, you know, if you don't have a sounder, if you don't have one that's, you know, dialed in with down imaging or those kind of things, you know, I feel like I steal a lot of Phil's lines, but I learned so much from the man over the years. He says the cure to boredom is movement. And if you're getting bored of just hanging it over the side, uh, you know, start slow hand twisting it up the column and and work it all the way up the column. If it's not working at 12 inches off the bottom and and yeah. you start hand twisting it, and all of a sudden you see that they're feeding in 10 feet of water when you're in 20, and it seems like every time halfway up your tree do you catch a fish. Well, then mm-hmm. next time set it set it at 10 feet. You right. know? So, yeah, um, yeah I, I had a day on uh, on one of the lakes here in Alberta fishing for tiger trout with my buddy Adam and uh, dangling tigers out of 27 feet of water. <laughs> and Wow. I, I'm I'm hooked. It's, it's so it's so it's so cool. Are you telling me indicator sales are going down in Spruce Grove now? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, 
why don't yeah i mean <laughs> i get possibly, it possibly i get it i mean there's a couple of lakes that um i frequent uh in the interior of BC here. And same thing, like, um, I wasn't a big, uh, fishum vertical with a, you know, a, a type, you know, a fast sink line straight up and down. But I, I, I was a believer after this year and I, it only took one day and it was very much like what you're talking about. Fish after fish after fish. You just have to be a little patient, right? And you need, the key is getting it close to the bottom. And I think that's a good tip, throwing it out there, putting on, I know you're using your hemostats, but um, there's, like you say, you get a little weight with a clip on there. You know you're on the bottom. And then where do you start? Like maybe one or two feet up from that? Yeah, I'll, I'll always I'll always start that eight to 12 inches off the bottom. I'm that I'm close. Classically, okay. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. I mean, it also depends on on what the bottom that you're fishing is. If it's, if it's a hard bottom right. compared to a weedy bottom, you, you, you definitely don't want that fly buried in, in the weeds. You want it just above that. So do you it, fish... it depends on the, on the structure in the bottom too. Though. Do you fish Ryan that fuchsia pattern that deep? Or are you going darker colors in that scenario? Uh, yeah, no, that, that fuchsia pattern was the one that deep on do many you... occasions this year. Yeah. Do you suspect that's deep, the... shallow, Hemoglobin, uh, you know, bloodworm type of look. Yeah, maybe, or um, and it's just really shiny with that mylar too, right? And, right. and that purple does that. That purple kind of does maintain down in deeper water better than some other colors. Yeah. So I think uh, that that fly's been productive in ten feet. And it's been productive in thirty feet. You're also fishing super clear water, and I'm sure that has, you know, fishing that clear water is going to have some effect on the, obviously, the color of the chironomids, too, and the pupa. Yeah, for sure, for sure, yeah. Yeah, cool. Um, I don't want to keep you too long. I know you're a busy guy, but I, I just, I want to get a feel for your perfect day, Ryan. So um, when you're out on the water, I want you to paint us a little picture about, you know, your ideal day. What kind of still water are you fishing? How are you fishing it? Uh, you may have already alluded to it, but uh, walk us through your dream day. Yeah, I definitely have, and I, I alluded to it already. And then I feel super fortunate because I've I've lived this day on numerous occasions. It's uh, it's driving up, uh, driving up the mountain up to Moline Lake, uh, stopping at the Bear Jam to see the black bear, the grizzly bear that the Tourists have created the bear jam there on the way up and driving past Bettison Lake and then up to Moline. And, you know, obviously the weather would be sun shining, uh, light little ripple on the water, um, chronomids popping, um, crystal clear water, big, huge shoals, mm. brook trout and rainbow trout. Um, Good stuff. That I've I've li- I've lived a number of those days on on Moline Lake, and there those are my dream days, man. That's well, you've got some pretty something very special about that spot. You got some fat rookies out there. I know that much because I I was kind of <laughs> going back in time on some of your Instagram stuff, and I'm like, what are those things eating? Because uh, they're they're pretty hefty looking brook trout. Yeah, there's uh, that. The, I think the ones you're talking about aren't out of the lake. We've uh, aren't out of Moline Lake, but uh, okay. they are in Alberta here. But uh, yeah, yeah, even the Moline Lake ones. I mean, they're they get pretty thick, and then then they're uh, they're a lot of they're a lot of fun. Head shaking brookies is a lot of fun on a five lake. Is there uh, what's what's to drink at the end of the day or or to eat? Is there a campfire involved? What does that look like? Yeah, for for sure, definitely. Um, I had some good friends of mine that have breweries uh, in Alberta, and one of them is in Jasper in our, our local spot. And, you know, like a, a crispy tall boy, which is a pilsner from the Jasper Brewing Company, is a big one for me. Or we have another uh, brewery in Bounce, and I, I drank a lot of their, their ride and dry pilsner from Bounce Out Brewing. And one of my go tos uh, this year, too, was that ride or dry is such a great beer. Um, yeah, and then um, the Jasper Pizza Place. If we're coming down from Moline Lake, uh, that that'll be it's always a good spot to stop. And you know, other than that, on the water, it's usually beef jerky and uh, Hawkins cheesies, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like it. That's very Canadian, right there. Um, <laughs> I, 
Is there a trick in your mind to catching brookies on a fly? Because I know that's something I used to struggle with. I, I always, the rainbows always seem to come, but I used to have to work harder for the brook trout. There's a few things I've noticed that kind of they're, they're more prone to take. Is, is there any tips or advice you could give us in fly fishing for brook trout? So, like, I think at some of the lakes where the, the two species inhabit the same waters, it's it's really similar. But what I've found in some of the some of the predominant brookie lakes and some of the bigger ones for bigger brookies that I fish is, you know, they're they are a char and they're a meat eater and like mm-hmm. throwing big bulky streamers and ripping them fast and you know pissing them off. Uh, yeah. I feel like I feel like that really works. You know, I've had my greatest success with big brook trout Mm -hmm. casting big streamers and varying my retrieves. And um, I think lots of times you put something flashy and in front of a brook trout and in their territory and they're going to turn to hit it just because they don't like it. Yeah. And it it shouldn't be there, you know, similar to a lake trout or those kind of things. So. Uh, well, but they, I mean, they'll, they'll take a 16 red and black ice cream cone too under an Indy. So, yeah, yeah. Well, and that's actually where that's been an eye opener for me. Cause I didn't really used to fish brook trout with chronomids. I, I don't know why I, I always think the same, just like you said, they're a char, maybe they're looking for bait fish if there happen to be bait fish there. But, um, and they don't, to be quite honest, they don't stock brook trout quite as heavily out in my neck of the woods as they used to. Because I remember as a kid, there was a lot of brook, brook trout lakes. There's a lot less now. Um, but they're they're a different animal, aren't they, really, than the rainbow? Yeah, no, they, they are for sure. But they, they've got a lot of the same the same tendencies. And, you know, I, because they're that's what's in Moline Lake is the rainbows and the brookies. They, they eat all the same stuff. I pump just as many brookies as I have rainbows and yeah. they're eating what's there. Right. So it also depends on, on the water and, you know, the entomology that's in the lake and those kind of things. But just like anything else, they're going to eat what's there and what's available to them. I got the biggest brook trout probably of my life this past year on a size 18 or 20 limey super super small like i can oh, barely yeah? see it yeah and it just it, it shocked yeah. me to be honest um i always think of them as meat eaters but they'll definitely take a chronomid for sure uh, absolutely and leeches they love yeah. leeches too yeah. yeah well hey um is there anything we haven't uh, covered tonight that maybe you wanted to get to i feel like we've got a a pretty good uh, kind of dial in on what you're all about and the fishing you're doing out your way uh anything we haven't covered that we should yeah, I think one thing I was kind of thinking about leading up to this, and you know, for the first time in in forty two years this summer, I struggled a little bit when it came to mental health, mm. and um, it was my fly fishing buddies that were there for me. You know, it was uh, the the community and the friendships and the relationships that I have built as a result of fly fishing um, have literally changed my life. And, uh, you you know, so, um, there's more to it than just that dancing silver rainbow, uh, at the end of your rod, uh, Mm -hmm. what fly fishing has brought to my life has, has, has changed it in a very positive way on, on so many levels, Mark. That's a really, that's a good point. And, and, you know, as one guy talked to another, I'm just going to be honest here. I don't usually go down these roads, but I'm happy to. And I think you're, I mean, there's so much crap going on right now. There's so much negative news. Just, it just seems to be bombarding us. And I, I'm one of those glass half full guys, even when it's the worst. Yeah. And even yeah. I, and I, 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 I feel you on that. Cause I struggle every once in a while. It's like, Oh, this again, can we, <laughs> or like, you know, if you're trying yeah. to, if you're trying to bring other people up, it's not always, uh, it's draining, right? And and you're right. I, I know I did the same thing. I, I leaned on, on fishing buddies hard. And, and that's sometimes all it takes is just one damn day outside, you know, chasing fish. And you don't even need to be catching. It's just just getting out there and clearing the mind, you know? Yeah. And even even the guys like, you know, like, like Brent and like Phil and like my buddy Sock. And these are my fishing buddies. And even not on the water, they were reaching out to me by phone and seeing how I was doing. And, and I'm that I'm that glass half full type of guy too. So it was uh, yeah, it was a different experience there for a couple of weeks for me. But the yeah. uh, 
the fly fishing community definitely helped prop me up and my friends through fly fishing were, were there for me on a level that, you know, was huge. Yeah. Well, and you got those little ones now, your life's getting busy too, in more ways than one. And that's, <laughs> that's yeah. I always find that very motivating. You know what I mean? I know when, when my girls were growing up, it was like, it gives you more reason to, and it gives you more reason to get out there and have your, your, your away time because you need it, but it's finding that, totally. that balance, right? You know? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, hey, man, I really appreciate you taking the time tonight. I've, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed chatting with you. We, we got to do this again because I know um, I'm looking forward to seeing your the, the movie, uh, the short film still, which is out pretty much as we're going to release this show. So uh, thanks so much, Ryan, for taking the time. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. That'd be great. Maybe you could get all of us on to talk about so that'd be a lot of fun. You know what? That's a great idea. Let's let's do that. We'll get Brent, all right. Mike, Trevor. Uh, who am I missing? Uh, there's a few Phil. people. Phil. <laughs> he, he's we'll, easily missed. We'll do a, No, he's not. We'll, we'll do a conference call. <laughs> we'll do a conference call, and we'll uh, we'll talk about it, because I think that would be a lot of fun. We might need something cold to drink, though, on that one. Sounds good, man. Sounds all right, Ryan. You've been listening tonight to a chat with Ryan Ermit. Ryan's out of Spruce Grove, Alberta, a pro tire with Canadian Llama, and quite often on the Stillwaters Facebook page. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water. Mm-hmm.